distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. Politicians will be spending a lot of time this election talking about affordability. But will they really be talking about what may be making life more expensive for you? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. My guest, Jesse Snyder from the National Post, will try and answer that question. Don't forget, there's a survey up on our show notes. Please take a moment to fill that out. Also, if you could, if you haven't already subscribed to our show, find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave us a rating and a review. So Jesse, you know, as we've kicked off the, this election, one of the things that I think all the parties have talked about and will be talking about is dealing with the economy and why their party is best suited to talk about and to lead on the economy. What are we talking about here? What are these parties referring to when they are discussing a kind of economic policy? Yeah. So I think we're not talking about what we might typically think of when we hear about the economy. You know, you hear about the economy, you might think GDP numbers, or you might think about some economist in some office somewhere. What we're going to be talking about there, I think, is something more about general affordability. Uh, you know, a lot of listeners might know something about this idea that, you know, it's, it's harder and harder to make it by uh, just for average families, just paying your taxes or you know, putting your children through school or whatever else it may be, I think that, you know, it's just getting more and more difficult to make things work. And everybody, all of these parties are in some way trying to tap into that. And they're all doing it in a slightly different way. Uh, but, you know, this is something that obviously just ties back into this question of the broader economy and the health of the economy. So we've had a liberal government in power for the past four years. How are they talking up their economic record yeah, and that's a difficult one for them because, again, the headline numbers, the sort of GDP overall, how Canada is doing, it all looks great. And yet, like I said, for a lot of people, they're not feeling it in their pocketbooks. So the liberals are kind of, you know, honestly, in a way that they're they're playing a lot of this platform. They're sort of playing the middle ground. They're saying, we've invested in Canadians. Uh, we've helped people get ahead, but the job's not over. You know, there's still plenty of work to do. So they're trying to sort of take that middle ground where they've said, We've done some of the work. Now you have to sort of have confidence in us to continue to do that and get the rest of everybody on board. You know, it's an open question whether people are going to buy into that, but it does seem that they're trying to sort of play both sides in that sense. When you talk about the idea that, you know, the GDP numbers are great, Canada's economy, it looks to be in good shape, but Canadians aren't feeling it. Where is that gap? Like, what does that mean that we're not feeling the good times? It's a combination of things. One of the major pieces that you hear about, and even the Bank of Con uh, Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Pelosi talks about this, where wage growth simply isn't at you know ideally what it ought to be. So the cost of living is going up, as we all know, the cost of groceries and all of these little expenses. And if you compare wage growth over the last decades, it just hasn't quite kept pace with that. On top of that, you have sort of bloated social services, both on the provincial and the federal side, which obviously has, has sort of increased taxes gradually over the years. So 
I think you have it coming from both of those angles. It's, it's, it's on the tax side, but mainly you just don't have that wage growth. I mean, a lot of uh, people are making around the same hourly wage that their parents were, and yet they're buying homes that are five, six times the cost, right? It, they might be looking at a half a million dollar home and still be making the same hourly wage that their parents were. So this is becoming more and more of, of a struggle for people. I think it's telling that the the uh, liberals, uh, liberal leader Justin Trudeau, were talking about housing affordability in Vancouver today. I know that the NDP have also talked about the idea of housing affordability, especially in places like Vancouver or Toronto. Are those the kind of economic issues that are really going to come into play in bigger cities as compared to smaller towns? And how do the differences shake out there between rural and urban and even major urban and smaller urban? Yeah, I think the housing affordability is pretty specific to a few places. You're going to hear about that in Toronto, uh, Vancouver, Montreal to some extent. I don't know if it's so much a rural issue. In the rural issue, in the rural areas, you're going to see specifically the conservatives going after smaller taxes, specifically the carbon tax, right? That's a big deal. For the conservative platform, Shear's saying that's the first thing he's going to cut. Now, you you kind of, that sort of raises the question of how much is this actually going to make a difference to our personal pocketbooks. I mean, the carbon tax right now, you know, adds a few cents per liter to every liter of gasoline we buy. That's not huge. On the other side, the Liberal Party has, in the last budget, they introduced a housing affordability plan. But, you know, as a lot of critics pointed out, this actually applies to just such a small sliver of the market, of the buying market, that is, that that's really not going to have a huge issue either. So you're going to hear different messages, whether it's rural or urban. I think that's true. Whether or not any of these things actually are going to change the lives of average Canadians, I mean, I, I would be pretty doubtful myself. I think that they're sort of picking away at the edges with you know various tax credits and that kind of thing, just hoping that voters will hear that promise and make a sort of a personally influenced decision, if you will. And what about the Conservatives? I know the campaign is still fairly young in terms of the official writ period. We've had the, the pre-election period where we've seen some policy announcements from Andrew Scheer, uh, specifically his major environmental platform. But looking at economic policy, have, have the Conservatives kind of rolled out how they plan to deal with the affordability issue in Canada? Not exactly. They're, they're going to come out with some kind of, or they keep telling us that they're going to come out with uh, not exactly a mock budget, but some idea of, of how they would spend their money. But they are just doubling and tripling down on this idea of affordability. I mean, that is going to be just the entire election for them. They're not really giving us broader ideas of, you know, typical conservative values about how how we ought to spend public money, how, how we should be budgeting as a country, that sort of thing. I wouldn't expect any of these kind of big, big questions to come into play. They're really just going to hammer down and they're just going to try to basically appeal to each of us individually on an affordability level. That is, the world's getting more expensive, and that's because of Trudeau, and you got to vote for us to reverse that. And what about the idea that Canada could be facing down a recession in the near future? How do you think that that could play into the election? Just a few weeks ago, it actually seemed far more possible uh, that a recession was going to be majorly in play. That was largely because Trump is threatening the Chinese with tariffs, and that was having this sort of uh, ripple effect where central banks around the world, that's kind of, that kind of thing, are, are cutting interest rates. And that's typically a sign that things are getting weaker. Now, I realize average people aren't following what, <laughs> what various central banks are doing around the world, but it does give you this sort of headline image of whether the economy is, is healthy or not. And 
you had recently the last GDP numbers come out before the election, uh, just at the end of August, uh, that showed 3.7% growth, which again, doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but is actually very, very solid numbers. Now, there probably is bigger problems on the horizon, but to your question of where how that's going to play into the election, I think that the numbers in late August gave us a healthy enough vision of how things might look that I don't think it's going to play in quite as much as I think it should. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that a lot of times if a recession is coming, we will choose a government based on how we think a government ought to run in a, ca- in a case of recession where uh, maybe you have to be a bit more careful about where you spend or perhaps you know fiscal stimulus is required or whatever else. I don't think we're going to have that mindset when we choose a leader this time. And I think perhaps we should because just you know a year out, the world could look very different than it does today. Are there any other major economic issues that you see coming into play? I know there's been a lot of talk in the past 18 months about, you know, international trade, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. There's been a lot of talk about the strength of the oil industry in Alberta and its impact on the Canadian economy. What issues do you see as being kind of important to the discussion, but may not get as much play amid everything else going on? I mean, the oil sector is obviously going to be a big one, but that only matters to a specific number of voters that isn't, frankly, going to sway the election. Something that we are talking about all through the Trudeau administration and something that we're not talking about now is this idea of competitiveness or the notion that Canadian corporations compared to companies in other countries, and especially the US, are becoming less competitive and therefore are less able to uh, draw investment into the country. This is a major problem that especially Finance Minister Bill Morneau was facing in a number of budgets. You had different business groups from the the Canadian Council of of Businesses, that sort of thing, like all of these groups coming down and saying, what we need is some kind of tax reform. We need a more solid outline of what we're going to do with innovative companies and how we're going to promote them and commercialize them. And we need to cut back on all of this, what you hear, red tape, which is basically the 140,000 regulations that govern how companies operate. That has sort of been piling up over the years and has gotten to such a point that Canadian companies are saying, look, you know, any company that has its decision between investing in, say, four different countries and Canada is one of them, you know, we're looking less and less as, as a sort of ready place to invest compared to these other jurisdictions. And that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And all of this sounds like something that I think a lot of people might hear that and think, well, that's just CEOs complaining about, you know, they want better corporate tax rates or whatever it is. They're just um, looking for some kind of corporate welfare when really I would argue that this is part of a much bigger and broader issue that filters down right to what we talked about before about wage growth. Part of the reason that that's actually happening is because we're we're less competitive and companies are a bit more stagnant and then require slightly more subsidy here and there. And that actually has a bigger impact on wages overall than a lot of these other things. So you know, you have some smart people out there who are saying we have to kind of tackle the, the big, big issue, uh, you know, make ourselves more competitive, draw that investment and just grow the economy. And then the rest of these problems come more naturally, right? Then life doesn't seem so hard for the average person. But, you know, the election's not going to be fought on those grounds. It's going to be fought more on we're going to try to target this riding and, <laughs> you know, offer very specific tax credits for these voters or those voters. And I'm, I'm thinking that's, that's how this is going to be fought. So what you're saying is that if Canada isn't as competitive as other countries, 
companies are less likely to want to come here, which means that there's less competition for uh, employers to attract workers, which means employers don't necessarily have to grow wages as much. Is that kind of a, a simplistic way of looking at it or does that make sense? I mean, I think that's about right. Like if there's more competition, then wages grow and you have more competition by inviting more companies to come to Canada and, and inviting more companies to invest. So it's really as simple as, you know, if you imagine, say there's a sector like artificial intelligence that Canada, you know, a lot of people say we have a lot of potential to do well in that. You know, right now we have, say, a handful of companies. If in 10 years we created an atmosphere that attracted more and more of these AI companies to come to Canada, suddenly anybody who's employed in that sector, if, say, you double the number of companies who are competing for talent, uh, who, are, who are putting out new IP into the market, that sort of thing, that is automatically going to raise the, the wages of these people because you're going to want to hold on to the best people. That's something that doesn't happen as much when there's less competitive when there's less competition rather and, and less investment happening. So again, it is one of these things that it sounds like it doesn't really matter for any of us, but it really does define what we're paid, you know, every two weeks, like the amount of money that's put into our pockets and whether Canadian companies can compete with, with other companies abroad. Now, when you say that no one is really going to be fighting this fight on the election campaign, uh, the Parties may be more focused on kind of niche tax credits that appeal to, you know, first time home buyers or soccer moms or things of that nature. Are the parties talking about this at all? Like you say, it's not likely to be fought on this, this battleground, but is anyone talking about this issue? You know, the guy running the conservative campaign, Hamish Marshall, I mean, he's talked about this in public before where you don't want to go too big and broad with your ideas or you lose people. He's basically said, you've got to double down on something that people know that voters can directly reflect on. You know, when it, when it comes to this question of buying groceries and paying the bills and that sort of thing, they are just doubling down on affordability so exclusively that, no, I don't think anybody's really talking about it. Um, you know, the NDP also gets into this a little bit, but they, their, their way of going about this is very similar to the others. They're just saying, you know, we have to broaden the safety net. We need a bigger, more expensive pharmacare program. I don't think anybody's really addressing this. And if you if you talk to people who understand about how important it is to have people around the world investing in Canada and and the real threat there is of the Canadian economy falling behind, you know, they're saying this is the one thing we should be talking about that we're not. And I really don't think anybody will focus on it. So when we talk about improving Canada's competitiveness, what kind of policies would a government need to have in place? Like, is it beyond good trade policies? Is it creating hubs for companies? What what role does government play here? I mean, it's it's going to mean a number of different things, but you know, at the highest possible level, it typically means doing the hard work of actually digging into the big, complicated things that slows down businesses. So that's our regulatory regime. You know, all of these rules that are placed upon businesses that are very important, but that can probably be modernized uh, to help companies get ahead. And then also looking at, say, the tax regime that has become very complicated because of all of these uh, different tax credits and, and things like that that we offer. What you have to do is go into this, go into both of these different regimes and, and kind of streamline how they operate. You have to kind of rethink and modernize 
how they work. And, I, you know, I've talked to companies, say, in the financial tech business, which is, or financial services, rather, who are basically offering a number of services um, somewhat attached to the banking sector, say, where they might have some kind of app that tracks your credit rating or whatever it is. There's a lot of companies doing that kind of work in Canada that say, all we need is, you know, a nudge here and there in the regulatory regime where we could have started up this business three years sooner than it took us because we had to talk to, you know, seven different regulatory agencies. We had to get different carbouts to do these, you know, different specific things that should not have taken that long. So this is really what is like the hard work where you have to go in, you have to start sifting through all of these thousands of regulations and just making it easier for companies to do what they do and not to let them, you know, just get away with everything. You know, you do need these regulations, you need these tax regimes. They're there for a reason, but that's one good place to start for sure. And then also being a little bit smarter about how we spend all of this money and in innovation. So the federal government spends about $12 billion a year subsidizing so-called innovative companies. I've written about this a little bit. A lot of others have written about how we could do a lot better at how we spend that money. And, and you know, there's, there's ways that we can do that. So I'd say it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah, and it, it's a fascinating issue that I imagine should be more front and center on the campaign trail. Jesse, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Special thanks to our guest, Jesse Snyder. More on the election, go to nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.